Hey, we had an awesome Foundations Conference <laughs> the last couple days. It was really good. Um, I'm going to have a few people share uh, about what the Lord spoke to them about this past uh, weekend. So if we could have a mic, that is awesome. And we'll have George Zapata come on up to share. Give it up for George. Thank you. It was a great conference. Um, all the speakers did a wonderful job. I was going to just highlight two of, two of the speakers and, and two of the things I learned during the conference. One was during Justice's... Where's Justin? Take off. There you go. <coughs> during his talk, uh, I think one was... You know, he, he made a point that singing... He, he was talking about singing uh, as worship and uh, that singing... While we sing, it's practice, really, for when we're in heaven. We're going to be singing God's praises. It did get me wondering this morning whether I, w I will be able to sing in heaven, because <laughs> I'm not a very good singer. And, 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 and I don't, you know, it's one thing I never really do is, is sing out loud, uh, just because my voice isn't very good. I don't want to distract from others, so <clears throat> if, uh, if I do distract you, then uh, you can blame justice. No. <laughs> um, um, there was another, let's see, there was another point with justices that I was going to make. Um, Oh yeah, it was with, with regards to uh, you, you talked about how you choose songs for for, for our worship, and I didn't I didn't know that all the all the different criteria that go into the, the songs that that you that you choose. So that that is uh, that was cool to know. Um, and then you mentioned Pastor Braden; he did a great job talking about giving and how giving is worship. And I think there was a I had written down during the conference, uh, I guess, a summary uh, of his talk. You know, we, we, we a lot of times think of giving as just money, but obviously we, we can give our time and especially our love to others. And so I had written down, giving is worship when we give to others for the glory of God. Um, so that's something I, I just need to personally keep in, keep in mind. Um, and that's really what we're doing when we, when we give. We're not giving anything to God. He doesn't need anything from us, right? So when we give, it's, it's, we're giving it to others in, in his name and glorify him. All right, give it up for Leanne. Thanks. So what stood out to me was something we all should know, but we seem to forget to do, is um, that our Sunday morning worship should overflow throughout the whole week. And if we're not worshiping during the week, we're going to come and we're going to be dried up for Sunday morning service. So um, just to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves throughout the week is really important. Um, and just reflecting on who God is and his qualities. Because um, if we remember who God is, that should overflow into our everyday lives and our relationships with our spouse or with our kids or with our neighbor or with our friends. So his word should always be on our lips. Give it up for Michael Porch. The, uh, I think God taught me something before the conference leading into it. And uh, that is that God is a God of order. And the evil one is about chaos and disorder. Hey! Yeah. yeah, and part of what happened with you yeah. makes me think of that. Yeah. 
So leading up to the conference this weekend, there were several incidents and in life situations that were distractions to Margaret, myself, and others. And um, any one of these items are normal life difficulties, but the fact that they were all coming together just before the conference made me think, yeah. somebody don't want me to be here. Yeah. <laughs> but God is good. Yeah. We, work, we work through the situations. God gave us grace and support to gather for the conference. At the conference, I found that the speakers went hand in glove with the small group studies that we're doing. Um, and they pointed us to God, to his order, and what we do as a body. God calls us to be prepared for our worship, which is demonstrated through our prayer, singing, giving, and preaching. He lays out these guidelines for actions in our worship of a general nature and calls us to be sensitive to the spirit with focus on the gospel of Christ throughout our worship, specifically the preaching piece. These actions and this focus prepare us then to go out to the world and to share what we've received here because God is good. All right, Tammy Childress, give it up for Tammy. Okay. First of all, like what's already been mentioned, God is doing incredible things here. And not just here, but God is alive and God is active and God is raising up an army. And I believe that the enemy does not want to see that army go to war at all. And so it was just incredible to see how the enemy was attacking. I mean, it was attacking in such a way that it encouraged me that I was like, okay, if the devil is this busy, God is busier. He is busier and he had something incredible in store for each of us. And even now, I just feel like it was almost a warning to me and needs to be a warning to us because God is going to continue to do incredible things through liberty. And the devil is, he didn't find a way in this time, but he's going to try another avenue. And so we've got to just Stay in his word. Stay united as a body because, I, oh, I feel like he tried to get us individually. You know, like our daughter had a horrific accident. That was just crazy. Cars were breaking, transmissions going out. But, you know, the unity that we have here at Liberty, we just need to keep that strengthened because he tried to get us as individuals, but I feel like now he's the next, the next avenue because that did not work is going to be us as a body. So staying firm in love because liberty is so rooted in love for Jesus and love for one another. So to stand firm in that, and I've only got two minutes, so I'll keep on going. Okay, so, but strengthen yourself. Because God is, God is active and he's wanting to do incredible and miraculous things. And the devil is going to try to use everything and anything and anyone to keep you out of God's promises for you. So, um, speaking of settling, this is what I learned. Okay. One, to settle myself. Because that's hard. I mean, I, I can't even sit down and finish a cup of coffee at home in the morning. Like, I'm walking. I'm do I always tell myself, Tammy, you're going to sit down and drink this cup of coffee. I start picking up this thing, picking up this thing, getting something for the kids. But the Holy Spirit wants us to settle ourselves, to be prepared. And one thing that I wrote down was preparation equals glorification. And that was just life-changing for me because 
Once we settle ourselves in humility and allow God to come to us in a way that he desires, he is able to use us in a way to where he is glorified in a magnificent way. And that's what I long for in my life. You know, I, I pray to an extreme God, and I want to be just as an, as an extreme. I, I want to be just as extreme when it comes to being a follower. I don't want to pray big and then act small. And um, I just believe that God is pushing us out of our comfort zones. This week, like, just... If I'm praying big things of God, I want to be able to say, okay, God, now use me in a big way. If there's a stranger down the street that you want me to go pray for or that somebody else is praying for and you're going to use us to be the hands and feet that somebody else is praying for, let me be courageous enough. Let me be uncomfortable because that's the thing. Whenever God is trying to grow you in worship, it's getting you out of your comfortable zone and he's getting you to trust him and to be uncomfortable. So that was... To nail it down to some bullet points, settle myself to prepare myself for God's glory and just to be used by him and to worship him in a greater and more intimate way. All right, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 10. I appreciate a few things about the Foundations Conference. One, it is very, very, very refreshing for us to come together, for us to hear from different speakers. I think it's good for this body to hear from a variety of different speakers, and um, everyone was a pastor that spoke um, this weekend. That's not always the case, but I just think it's, it's good for us to hear even different styles of, of preaching. Um, and it is good for us, I, Tammy kind of hit, hit on it, uh, it's good for us to pause in, in the midst of busy, it's good for me to pause in the midst of busyness and take out uh, just like a chunk of time, and however many hours that was, it was less than 24 hours when you do the math, but for us to reflect, learn, grow, have some discipleship, have some fellowship, have a good time, have some laughs, have some worship, have some solemnity to it, but also have um, a lightheartedness to it as well. So very, very refreshing for me. I hope it was refreshing for you all. All right, let's look at Leviticus chapter 10. It says in verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And what I want to look at today is keeping on with the theme of our conference and with the book that we're going through in our life groups is the idea of worship and what is required of us. What does God require of us when it comes to worship? What is he looking for for those who seek him, for those who are called believers, for those who are his children? What does he want from us? Let's pray before we go on. Father, we do come before you. Thanks for the people that, that shared uh, this morning 
it's a reflection of, of the work that you did this week. It, it really wasn't about uh, the speakers or any one person saying anything particular. Uh, it was about your spirit moving through those people and you speaking um, through them uh, to your children. So we thank you for that. We know that apart from your spirit, uh, we can do nothing. That apart from your spirit filling us, we cannot walk in your ways. So Lord, um, continue to fill us with your spirit so that we can walk in your ways, so that we can worship you in spirit and truth, so that we can worship you rightly, Lord. Help us to look at into your, into your scripture, uh, the challenging parts, Lord, and have uh, wisdom from above to understand them. Give us your spirit in this area so that we have your truth and we can apply it to our life. Give us understanding from above, Lord, that we might walk in a way that glorifies your name. We pray this with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen. So Nadab and Abihu, uh, who were they? They were Aaron's two oldest sons. And they were part of the priesthood. They had gone through the, uh, the anointing process. They had been set apart as priests to participate in the worship. Uh, one of them would have been in line, the oldest would have been in line once Aaron passed to become his, you know, he was the predecessor and would have taken over as the high priest. But what happens here is that they offer what's called unauthorized, uh, I think you could translate it strange, fire. In fact, um, a number of years ago there was a conference, I think it was John MacArthur that put it on, called Strange Fire, dealing with in, in, a, in a different kind of a flavor, but kind of the idea of corporate worship and what is biblical worship and what should that look like and what does God require of us. Uh, in, in Exodus, uh, I just want you to see this because this is, I just kind of want to set the, the, the backdrop a little bit in Exodus 24 so we get a clear understanding of the role that these two men we're in. Exodus 24. This is after the Ten Commandments have been given. There's some other things they go through, the, the, some of the feasts, um, the conquests is, of Canaan is promised, and this is what you might call the, the covenant being confirmed. So God's laid out the covenant, and now the people have to um, accept it or reject it. So it's, it's the covenant being confirmed in verse 1 it says of Exodus 24, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So I just first want us to note that, I mean, there's just a handful of people out of, you know, about whatever, a couple million. There's just a handful of people that are included in this particular act that is occurring. And just, uh, just four are named, Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, okay, then plus these 70 elders. They're worshiping from afar. Then it says, verse 2, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So, I mean, these, these 70 plus guys are gathered. Then you got all of Israel over here, and then Moses is going to go even further. It says, verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
They are confirming the covenant. God wants to make the covenant. They have to accept it, okay? They can't try to change it, but they, they have to accept it or reject it. So they're accepting it. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. I mean, they've said it once, and now they're, they're reaffirming their commitment. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. I mean, notice the shedding of blood that occurs for the ratification of the covenant. And you get this uh, picture, I mean, it, what does he do with the blood? I mean, he's throwing it on the people. But what a picture, right, of what Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, ends up doing, his blood covering us. And we enter into a covenant relationship with God through Christ. So behold the blood of the covenant, verse 8, that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Okay, so then they're named again, those four plus the 70. And, and look what it says, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. These 74 men literally dined with God in his presence something that the other millions did not get to do. They had seen him. They saw God. They saw the God of Israel. And yet, once we get to Leviticus, it's really not that much farther. I mean, it's a different book, but things are still being set up. It's very early in the history of Israel. I mean, not much time has passed. And what happens? They offer unauthorized fire. They offer the strange fire. I mean, they're part of this inner circle. They're part of the priesthood. They get to go up with, with the 72 other men. They get to see God. They get to dine with him. And yet they thought, really, they thought they could just do worship however they wanted to do. That's really the application. They offer something that had not been laid out. What just happened? They agreed to the terms of the covenant, did they not? Right? They were there. The blood was sprinkled on them. They agreed to the terms, and almost immediately, I mean, they break the terms. They break the terms, and they start doing their own thing when it comes to worship. So my first point is that is there's, there is a right way and a wrong way to worship God. So they tried to worship the Lord in a way that he had not prescribed. And guess what? They paid the ultimate penalty with their own life. And you're like, well, what's, what's wrong with offering fire to the Lord? Because sometimes, you know, you hear in, in Christ, Christian circles like, well, they're doing it unto him and, and their heart is right and they have the right mo emotions. We don't get to decide how to worship God. 
He decides, and we listen. Their worship was not authorized by God. Therefore, it was a false worship. They offered strange fire. So for us, it's not like, oh, well, how would you like to worship God today? That is not how we approach Him. It is, how does God instruct us to worship Him? So the Creator always leads His creation. And the Father, listen, the Father always instructs His children. Okay, now, some of you that, that are parents, right? I mean, you've probably had your children try to instruct you. And it probably hasn't gone that well, right? Because the, the way they do it, especially when they're younger, the manner in which they've approached it is not good. So the father instructs his children, and here's the thing. We follow his lead. We look to him. So what do we do in a worship service? You know, if we were to say, oh, hey, each of you go home this week and design your own worship service, like, what would you include? Well, I mean, hopefully you'd look here to set it up. If you were going to design it, You'd be like, well, I'm not going to really be the one designing it. I'm just going to look at what God says we're supposed to do, and that's what I'm just going to lay out. I might change the order a little bit. Hey, maybe I'm going to do the sermon before the singing part, right? You change the order a little bit. But hopefully you'd, you'd base it completely, solely, and entirely on what the Word of God lays out for us. So we'd have singing. That's what he lays out. That's what we saw this weekend. We'd have prayer. That's what we saw this weekend. We'd have the reading of Scripture. That's what we saw this weekend. We'd have the preaching of the Word. That's what we saw. Um, if, and if you, need, if you want the little the layout on that, um, I, we just sent an email out, I think, last night with all the different people's um, sermons, talks. You can go and, and listen to each of those topics. It, it was really good. But God takes worship seriously. Why? Because it's all about him. It's all about him. It's directed to him. And it, it makes a statement. Think of this. It makes a statement to ourselves and others about him with the way we worship him. Now, if you think about like the, the, the gods and goddesses of the New Testament times, <clears throat> most of them had like um, cultic sex involved in worship. Did that make a statement about that deity? That, um, you know, quotes deity? About that false god or goddess? I mean, absolutely. They're including that as part of their worship. It makes a statement about the deity they proclaim to worship. And we have a tendency in our flesh to distort worship. We have a tendency to not follow directions. We have a tendency to do what we want. Okay, we are very much like Nadab and Abihu. And you know what we do? We make God too small. We fashion, we fashion, fashion him in our own image. We follow our ways and not his ways. We make ourselves too big. We think very highly of ourselves in the flesh. We think we know what's best, and our actions show we have a tendency to magnify ourselves and diminish God. It goes back to what I said a few weeks ago. We have a tendency to worship what we want. We worship the creature instead of the creator. Romans 1, 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we have a tendency to do what we want in worship. We have a tendency to be like Nadab and Abihu. Our, our saying is, I'll bring the sacrifice that I want. I mean, think about it. That was Cain's approach. That was Cain's approach. Look at Genesis 4. It says, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So two, two offerings, and it kind of sets it up that it would make sense. Oh, well, Abel is, is a keeper of sheep, so he's going to bring a sheep. Um, Cain is uh, uh, a worker of the ground. Okay, well, it makes, it, it makes sense. I mean, that's kind of how the Scripture is kind of laying this out for us. But here's the thing. Um, our, our vocation and our position, it, it doesn't influence how we worship God, whether we're a doctor or a teacher or a worker of the ground or a keeper of the sheep. No, God has a standard when it comes to worshiping him. So it's not like, oh, this group of people over here can worship one way and this group of people over here can worship one way and this group of people over here can worship one way. That's not the way it works. And that's what's being laid out. Listen, do you really think that Cain did not have any animals? I mean, you think he was a vegetarian? I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he had flocks too. Maybe he wasn't the one raising them and he's buying it from his brother and exchanging it or whatever. But I, I do not think he was a vegetarian. So, I mean, what's easier to give in one sense? To go out to your, your fruit trees and, and pluck some fruit and have this nice little basket or like sacrifice your 500-pound steer that could feed your family for a few weeks? Like, why did God require death and something costly when he's dealing with sin in the Old Testament. Because he wanted to make a very strong statement to us that sin requires death. It requires death. It requires something costly. God has a particular way for us to worship him, and he makes the rules. He sets the standard. And, and it's not like he's hiding this from us. He's not hiding it from us. It's not like we're like, I wonder how he wants us to worship him. I mean, he lays it out very plainly in the scriptures. And what happens is, is, is people are like, well, what's wrong with what I'm doing? I, I, I'm truly worshiping. I mean, what does that even mean, truly worshiping? But I'm truly worshiping. Listen, people can be sincere in all sorts of things that they're doing, but that doesn't make it right. People can be sincerely wrong. Remember, the creature doesn't define what is right or wrong. Okay, Not in regards to ethics, not in regards to worship. The creature doesn't set the limits and boundaries. The creature doesn't set the agenda. God sets the limits. God sets the boundaries. God sets the agenda. God lines out for us what is acceptable and what isn't. I mean, most of us, I hope, most of us wouldn't even 
dream or think of changing the sexual ethic found in the Bible? We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We know what God says about sex and how it's supposed to be set up. We wouldn't, oh, we'll just make our own, I understand the culture and even Christians are doing that, but we wouldn't do that. I mean, how much more so when we're talking about worshiping the creator of this universe, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, why would we even think of trying to change rules in regards to the right worship of him? When you think about it, you know, entering the temple as an Israelite, I mean, you didn't come empty-handed, did you? you? You brought something with you. It cost you something to worship. But, I mean, we've kind of reversed that today. You know, so, you know, people come and, and we got donuts and we probably even have some bananas and stuff like that, right? That's good. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've, we've kind of reversed it where, I mean, instead of being expected to come with something, you, we've, our culture, our Christian culture, has made it so people come expecting to receive something. We've, we've totally flipped it around. It, it is absolutely disgusting to God. So back then you would have brought a lamb or turtle doves. And do you think they were bummed out that they just sacrificed their best lamb? I don't think so. I mean, they just sacrificed. It had to be spotless. It had to be perfect, all right? Do you think they were bummed out? No. Why wouldn't they be bummed out of whatever sacrifice they made? Why? Because they just realized, like, wow, there's a little exchange going on there, and, and that thing died instead of me, like a foreshadow of what Christ was going to do. He, the, the, the sin is being placed on him, and, and he's paying the penalty. They were thankful to be able to come and give something. It cost them something to worship. And ask yourself, well, look at Romans. Look at Romans briefly. Romans 12. In verse 1 it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So then we have this idea here that, that, that we're the living sacrifice. Like we're laying down our lives. We're, we're, we're willing to do whatever God calls us to do. I mean, think about that. They're like, again, back to that Old Testament. If, when they're bringing up the bull, I mean, is the bull like, hey, what do I get out of this? You know? But, but here, we're the living sacrifice. And so it's like, we're coming to church and like, hey, what do I get out of this? No, I mean, the bull wouldn't have done that. We're going to show you what you're going to get out of this. It's, it's not going to be pretty, buddy. Okay? But that's kind of our attitude sometimes. Like, what do I get out of this? That, that's the wrong attitude. That is the wrong attitude. Not what do I get out of this, but what do I get to give to this? And so the idea is, is what do I give or sacrifice? That Yes, that includes... Uh, bringing an offering. Absolutely. That should be a part of it. What does it cost you to worship? What are you bringing when you enter into the congregation to offer to the Lord? Well, I mean, obviously your entire self, you're the living sacrifice. But what about lifting up your voice? Justice talked about it. 
singing. We're commanded to sing. It's not an option. All right? I'm looking forward to hearing George's out-of-tune voice, all right? <laughs> That's all right. Like, the Lord wants us singing unto him. The Psalms, there's how many, I forget how many you said the other day. It was like, I want to say 40 or something, like specific commands maybe? 50 direct commands to sing. 50. That's a lot of commands. On just one subject. So what are we bringing to worship? Now I think, it's almost like a side note, but I think when we bring something and we're giving it all to God, we end up getting something back. That's almost like a side note or a secondary thing. And you're getting something from the preaching of the word. Absolutely, yes. But, but the focus is you coming before God and offering your all to him. Whether it is your voice, whether it is your finances. Yes, the entirety of yourself, you're laying it out before him. We need to rearrange our thinking on worship. We come to give, not to get. Okay, so what sacrifice are we bringing unto the Lord? God doesn't just want like attenders, He wants people that are engaged. Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. He's not saying just do that in our heart. That's where it starts. But he does want us doing it. Verbally. God doesn't just want form, though. He wants substance, right? So he wants the form, but he wants the substance, too. What do I mean by that? Well, the form would be the singing, the form would be the giving, but he wants our hearts as well. Look at Isaiah just briefly. Isaiah chapter 1. He starts out in verse 2 of chapter 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. I mean, what a rebuke that God gives here to his own children. He's saying the, the, the ox and the donkey know their master better than you know me. That's a rebuke. And he is calling on the heavens and the earth to testify against this rebuke that he gives his children. Let's not let that be us. Children that I have reared and brought up. I mean, we have been blessed and blessed. Many of us have been blessed to grow up in Christian families, but we've been blessed. Just if you just once hear the gospel... You've been given a privilege that some people in this world won't ever get. It's true. And we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it. And some of us don't respond to it. We just don't. But we know it. But, but what's God concerned about? Not just 
head knowledge, but he's concerned about heart knowledge. That's what he wants us focused on. That's why he goes on in verse 12 and he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. I mean, he's calling out their, their false worship. So they have the right form. They're coming with the offerings. They're coming with the animals. They're coming with the sacrifices. They're following all the new moons and Sabbaths. The form is there. The actions are there. But the substance is not there. Their heart is not there. New moon and Sabbath, verse 13, and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So he's dealing with, yes, the, the form is there, but he's calling out the hypocrisy because they're going through and they're sacrificing, but then what are they doing? Walking in, in the complete opposite direction of God's ways. That's why he calls them out. Cease to do evil. They're walking in, in fallenness and in sinfulness. Learn to do good. Seek justice, verse 17. Correct oppression. I mean, none of those things were happening, and that disgusted him. I mean, why? Because it was, it's hypocritical to stand before God and proclaim one thing and act like everything is good and then do the complete opposite. So if we are, are proclaiming something about Christ and we're putting on this show before people, and then behind closed doors doing something completely opposite. I mean, this, this passage is for us. And he says, they've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. He's even saying, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Friends, if that's you, the, the call then is to repent. To repent. Don't fall into this, this hypocritical path where you say Jesus is praised in one breath and then in the very next breath you're cursing him behind closed doors. And you proclaim to walk in a path of righteousness and then you go out and walk in the path of wickedness. It makes a mockery of the sacrifice of Christ for you. Don't let it be true of you. Don't let it be true of you. God wants us to have the form, and he wants us to have the substance. And, and if your heart is not at a place where it needs to be, guess what? Practice some of those things that we talked about. So, sometimes you sing, and it's not hypocritical to sing when you don't feel like it because you're making your will be over your emotions. And your will can be over your emotions. You can will to do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. All right, just ask any husband who's, you know, done the dishes before. <laughs> All right. You can will yourself to do things you don't want to do. You can do it. Same with singing. You might not feel like, I don't always feel like singing. I'm sure the worship team at times doesn't feel like singing. You can will yourself to do something even if you don't feel like doing it. Why are you willing yourself to do it? Because you want to honor God and please Him. 
You want to glorify Him. You want to walk in His ways. And guess what you find out? Not all the time, but a lot of the time, if you will walk in obedience and you'll like kick those motions to the curb sometimes, those ones that are not from the Lord and you press through, guess what? He honors and He blesses that. And He gives you those emotions that are more pleasing and righteous to Him. He gives you a desire to want to seek after Him. Not always, but oftentimes. And so... God wants us walking in a manner that is worthy of Him, so He wants actions, but He wants the heart too. And the Pharisees, what did they have? They had right actions. Did they have really right motive? No. And that's, that's really what I'm talking about. The, the motive, you might not feel like worshiping, but your motive can be like, I want to worship Christ. I'm going to press through this. I want to glorify Him. So my motive is to honor Him. My emotions aren't there, but my motive is right, so then I sing, and I open my mouth, and I make a joyful noise to the Lord, even though I don't feel like it, because my motive is to honor Him. I want to glorify Him. It's the same in all aspects and areas of our life, okay? Even if you just think, like, maybe, like, sharing your faith. A lot of times, even evangelists that I've talked to, it's not like they're, like, just... They have this welling love and desire to share their faith with people. Some of them do, praise the Lord. A lot of times, though, they're like, man, right before I share, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm fearful. Like, those are emotions. But what do they do? I mean, they, they, they push those to the side, and it's not hypocritical to do that. Why? Because the motive to do it is, is pushing through to share their faith. They want to honor the Lord. They will pass the emotions. The same is true when we're talking about worshiping our Heavenly Father in all aspects, with the singing, with the preaching, with the prayer. We can will past the emotions. We can do that. Now that, that ability ultimately comes through Christ who strengthens us. It comes by His Spirit who fills us. In our natural flesh, if we try to do it, it's a, it's a complete and utter train wreck and it's ugly, and it's bad. But if you have the Spirit of God residing in you, yes, you can. Yes, yes you can. Yes. Okay, everything you need to, to live the Christian life, if you're a believer, you've already got it. You have the Spirit of God residing in you. Do you need to still grow? Absolutely. Do you need to walk in faith? Yes. Do you need to study, read? Absolutely, 100%. All right? I've got the initials behind my name to prove I know the importance and believe in the importance of those things. But the, the youngest of the youngest of believers, someone who just got saved yesterday, has the Spirit of God living inside them. And they can walk in obedience to Christ. They can. They have the Spirit. They've been regenerated. They've been baptized by the Spirit. They're walking in the truth. They have the Spirit of God. They can please God. They can worship Him rightfully. So when we, when we are talking about worship in the sense that we have with corporate worship, let's make sure we have both substance, which we've really focused on, uh, excuse me, form, which we've really focused on, but let's make sure substance is there. That the substance is there. And you can will past the emotions, the negative emotions. And sometimes those emotions, I mean, those aren't even, come, they come from our flesh at times. But sometimes it's just like, I mean, the enemy. You know, sometimes the toughest, the toughest time for me is when I'm trying to do sermon prep. 
and, and I'm, I'm sure sometimes that's just my flesh trying to distract me in different things, but I mean, the last thing the enemy wants is us getting in the Word. The last thing the enemy wants is the pastor of a church adequately preparing to give up and feed his sheep. But you have to, to will past that, push those things aside, rebuke the enemy at times, and do what God has placed before us to do. Be the living sacrifice. It'd be so easy to be a dead sacrifice. I mean, right? Just die once, it's over with. But living sacrifice, that's a little more challenging. That's day after day after day. And that's what Jesus talked about, take up your cross. I mean, that's tough stuff. Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the part that gets left out sometimes, though, right? Like, we get to follow Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I'd rather have, like, a million crosses and be following after Jesus than to have no crosses and following after the world or to have no crosses and following after Satan. So, I mean, Jesus, if, if that is what is, it's going to take to follow after you, then give me all the crosses you think I need. Because I'll be right there on that path following after you. Why? Because he'll be there with us. He knows those crosses. Some he'll keep there, some he'll remove. But what is his burden? It's light. What is his yoke? Easy. Does he have a burden? Yep. Does he have a yoke? Yep. It's easy and light when you're following and walking with Jesus. Feels tough at times. The crosses, they seem to multiply at times. But the Lord is with us every single step of the way. Every single step of the way. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is your very near God. He is very close to us. Very far and above us the sovereignty of God, but very near and close to us, the eminence of God. He is a good and gracious God. Let's pray. Lord, give us hearts and minds that are set fast upon you. And Lord, I pray and intercede for all of us Forgive us for ways that at times we've worshipped you and sought something because of what it gives us, not because of what it gives you. And forgive us, Lord, for trying to worship you in ways we think are right, not coming to you to see what you say is right. Lord, I pray you'd give us a heart to have not just form but substance, not just the actions but the heart behind it. Thank you that you give us a new heart. You cleanse us. You cover us by the blood of your Son. You offer forgiveness of sins through faith in you. You pour out your grace upon us time and time again. Lord, be gracious to everyone who is here. Let them see your goodness in the midst here, Lord. Let them see how good you are. Give them a glimpse of your glory. For the unbeliever, let them see your majesty, your beauty, your love, your power, and what you did for them through your son Jesus. And for believers, Lord, help us 
to know you more, increase our desire to seek you more, and let us have that same glimpse of your, of your glory, of your beauty, of your majesty, of your power. We see through the glass dimly now. One day we shall see face to face. But even what we see now through the glass is an amazing sight to witness. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We love you. Amen.